Dragnet. The Jack Benny Program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We offer you Escape. Follow Miss Brooks. Suspense. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? WGN Radio Theater. The special three-hour presentation with Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, it's a late start here, 1216 on a Sunday morning now it is, Lisa. That was quick thinking there, Carl. <laughs> Good to see you, though. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to be on, even if it's a short show. Yeah. All right. So we'll be here till uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. We will play two of our classic radio shows. We're going to start things off in just a few minutes with the Martin and Lewis show from 1951. Their special guest being Crosby. Then after that... It is Jack Webb starring as Sergeant Joe Friday on Dragnet from 1950. So stick around, folks. We just have a couple of commercials. We'll be back, and we'll play Martin and Lewis. Stick around. All right. Well, it is time for the Martin and Lewis show, Lisa. We're going to start things off with a good comedy. Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis. You know, they met in the 1940s. They met in actually in 1945, formed a nightclub act, were a huge sensation. You know, they had uh, routines, were kind of ad-libbed, and then Dean sang and Jerry kind of mugged for the laughs, and it was slapstick, vaudeville jokes, crazy antics type of thing. And then they had a radio show debuted in 1949. They had top stars on their radio show. This led to TV, hit films. By 1950, they were literally the hottest act in America and they broke up in 1956 exactly 10 years to the day of their first teaming uh, after their split of course uh, both men's careers were very successful but uh, we have a 1951 radio broadcast for you October 19, 1951 special guest Bing Crosby here is part one of the Martin and Lewis show From Hollywood, we present the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show. Brought to you by Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our Master of Ceremonies. Well, hi, folks. This is Dean Martin. Well, once again, I see Jerry isn't here on time. However, this time I know why he's late. You see, he took a physical examination this morning, and the doctor told him to watch his stomach. So he's been sitting in front of a mirror all day long. <laughs> and while they're trying to pry him away, I'd like to kick around a bit of a... I wish I was. Wish I was a swinging, clinging vine. Wish I was a swinging, clinging vine. If I was a swinging, clinging vine, I'd only cling to the gal of mine. Wish I was a swinging, clinging vine. I hope it'll dee tell you what I'd like to be. I hope it'll dee here is what I dream I'd like to be. 
Wish I was a fuzzy wuzzy fox. Wish I was a fuzzy wuzzy fox. If I was a fuzzy wuzzy fox, I'd never have to change my socks. I wish I was a fuzzy wuzzy fox. I hope it'll tell you what I'd like to be. I hope it'll here is what I dream I'd like to be. Wish I was an apple on a tree. Wish I was an apple on a tree. Buys an apple on a tree. A girl come along, take a bite of me. Well, I wish I was an apple on a tree. Wish I was the sun up above. Wish I was the sun up above. By the sun way up above, it shine right down on the one I love. I wish I was the sun up you may have entertained as to your personal value is entirely irregular, irrelevant, and immaterial. Well, I... They're suing you again. You've been in court. Jerry, <laughs> this has gone far enough. It sure has, and just for that, you can't hear the song I wrote for you. <laughs> wrote a song for me? Go ahead. Sing it for me. No. Ah, oh, come on. Coax me. Give me your hoppy badge. Jerry, I'm waiting. Okay, here it is. Charming, enchanted evil. Oh, wait a minute. You wrote that song by yourself? Well, not exactly. My friend Herbie helped me. He plays the drums. For information, that song was written by Rogers and Hammerstein. Did they tell you they wrote that song? I never met Rogers and Hammerstein, but... Uh... So you'd rather take the word of total stranger. I'm sorry, Jerry. You wrote the song, okay? It's your song. Why do you lie? <laughs> Jerry, will you please drop the whole thing? Let's get on with the show. Who's our first guest? Say, I have an idea. Instead of having a guest here, why don't you and I do a scene to get a boat? <laughs> All right, ladies and 
gentlemen, Jerry and I give you our impression of a father trying to put his small son to bed. Little man, you're crying. I'm only two years old. I'm entitled. I know why you're blue. There's sand in my talcum powder. Someone took your kitty car away. It was mother. She's hated me for years. Better go to sleep now. I can't. I'm on the night shift. Little man, you've had a busy day. Quite busy. I was up at five, burned down the garage, pushed grandma into the garbage disposal, cut paper dolls out of the living room rug. I was due at ten o'clock, and I've been loafing all day. You've been playing soldier. Who's playing? We're shipping out tonight. The battle has been won. It was easy. I used real bullets. The enemy is out of sight. They just haven't any guts. Come along, there, soldier. Take your filthy hands off me. Get away, you're gone. Just one shot at mother. The war is over for tonight. That's what you think. I set a time bomb under Herbie's crib. Time to stop your scheming. Someone has to think around here. Good heavens, if I left things up to you last week, you didn't even heat the milk. Time your day was through. It ain't even dark yet, Dad. Can't you hear the bugle softly say? Do you really think that bugle talks? Time you should be dreaming. I'll have a nightmare. I just saw Uncle Milty. <laughs> Little man, you slipped that in on me. You had a busy day. I'm getting sleepy. Little man, you had a busy Folks, our guest tonight is a man Jerry and I have admired since before the start of our own careers. His name has been magic in show business for so long that it isn't really necessary for me to say any more than, ladies and gentlemen, Bing Crosby. Thanks a lot, Dean. You're very sweet. Well, that's okay, Bing. Everybody knows that when it comes to crooning, you're the daddy of them all. Oh, I'm no kin of Mel Torme's now. I barred him. <laughs> but I've got four up-and-coming groaners who call me Pappy. Yeah, and uh, I hear they work with you now and then. Uh-huh. I trapped Gary once, got him in to make a platter with me called Samsung. Bing, what say I do a fast course of Samsung with you? Well, Dean, uh, that song is strictly a family deal. Adopt me. <laughs> I'd rather have Bullethead. Where'd he go? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's make it good and low, though. Don't sing too loud, because if Gary hears me, I'm cooked. All right. Here's a happy tune 
you'll love to croon. They call it sandsaw. Catchy as can be, this melody. They call it sandsaw. Nothing on your mind, and then you'll find your humming sandsaw. Why it makes you grin gets under your skin. As only a song can do. People that you meet out on the streets, all whistling sad songs. Everyone you see will soon agree it's such a grand song. So forget your troubles. Wear a smile as full of impact. You'll find you'll never go wrong. <laughs> they do this happy tune. They call it Samson. Now we have a musical interpolation by Mr. Dino Martini, who comes to us through the courtesy of Chico's Lasagna Parlor. Dino, here's a happy tune that will bring you a smile all the while when you croon that you're really in style. And the title is Samson. As can be with a slight little beat in this the mouth, this boy digs the stuff, don't you? Tapping your feet in the title, title is Samson. Nothing on your mind, but the news of the day and the bills you will pay will keep your hair turning gray, but you're still having sex. <laughs> you continue, but it makes you grin, gets under your skin. This is more solo than I ever gave hope. I'll tell can do. People that you meet Hello Joe, what you know when you remind me of motel and business is slow But I'm whistling Samson Everyone you see Has a story to tell or a gimmick to sell With a greed that it's well and that's really Grand song <laughs> So forget your trouble and wear a smile And you'll find you'll never go wrong you learn to come like a lock in the park Who is making his mark Serenading the dock with the chorus of sang song. All right, that's the first portion of the Dean Martin Jerry Lewis show, October 19th, 1951. Special guest being Crosby. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Thanks, Roger. 12.38 on a Sunday morning, and we did have a late start, but we'll be here till 2 o'clock in the morning. We're going to wrap things up with Martin and Lewis. Then it's Dragnet starring Jack Webb. When we come back here tonight, we have some more classic radio shows for you. Right, Lisa? We do. We've got The Adventures of Sam Spade Detective. That's in hour one. And then the Jack Benny program. All it's right. It's going to be a winning night. Absolutely. But right now it's the conclusion to the Martin and Lewis show. Well, you know, Bing, that song felt mighty good. Oh, there's nothing like loosening up the old top. Hey, hey you, really you know, I wa- Hey, you didn't tell me your father was coming. <laughs> Jerry, this is Bing Crosby. Who are you kidding? If he's Bing Crosby, I'm Frankie Lane. Ah, you better show him, Bing. When the blue of the night meets the gold of the day. Well, what do you say, Jerry? Jezebel is Arapel! 
indeed. How long have you been working with this monkey on a stick? You got I just a minute, Crownsby. I don't happen to like it, see? So I didn't know it was you. This is so terrible. I didn't recognize you without your partner. What do you mean, partner, Junior? I do a single. What about the guy that says, Oh, I am lad. Top of the morning, me lad. I take a little bit Oh, you mean Barry Fitzgerald? No, you mean Barry Fitzgerald. Yeah, be nice fingers, I guess. Besides, you boys have something in common. What could this be, Dean? Well, you both have a son named Gary. Hey, Bing, you got a son named Gary, too? What, you never heard of Gary Crosby? He's my oldest boy, 18 years old, brings in a lot of loot with his records. Get, be aware, come alive. Boy, oh boy, money sure goes to money. <laughs> Thought about I think it's a shame. This kid's 18, makes all that money. My Gary's six years old. He lays around the house all day like a bum. Never brings it out. Ah, Bing, with all your money, why don't you just buy yourself a nice little continent and settle down? Uh, that's a question you'll have to ask my brother Everett, Dean. Yeah, what's with this brother Everett deal? How come he manages all your affairs? Who chose him, boss? Well, it's a lot. <laughs> It's a long story, fellas. It all started way back when we were kids. Brother Bob and I were kind of close, but Everett... Well, Everett, uh, he was a lot like you, Jerry. You mean he was jerky? <laughs> he was a little mixed up, let's put it that way. I remember back in high school, Everett was sort of mother's favorite. I'm not much of a family gab fest, but when you call, why, just think of me as your ever-listening boy. Bing Crosby, now where on earth did you develop that horrible, lazy manner of speech? Oh, it's not too bad, Ma. I guess it just springs from a lack of lackadaisical attitude and a relaxed approach to life. Good heavens, Robert. You're beginning to sound just like your brother Bing. Well, I certainly hope Everett hasn't been affected. Don't worry about me, Ma. I still want Ma. <laughs> Tell the truth, is Everett really one of us? Of course he isn't. <laughs> you know better than that. We were brought by the stork. He came by bat. <laughs> now, 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 stop that. I want you boys to get along. Because from now on, you're going to work together as a singing trio. I don't want to be a singer, Mark. I'm studying animal husbandry. <laughs> yeah, let him go, Ma. He'll make some animal a great husband. No, no, my mind is made up. Now, let's hear how your voices sound together. Then you start with row, row, row your boat, and you two join in. A row, row, row your boat. A row, row, row your boat. Row, 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 row your boat gently Sound like you opened a vein or something. <laughs> Ma, Everett's murder. Besides, I want to do a single. <laughs> How can you do a single? You sound like every other singer. You don't have no style. What do you mean I haven't got no style? You take that back or I'll let you have it. I said it and I'm glad. You got no style. Well, you me. asked for it. <laughs> Why, Bing Crosby, how dare you hit your brother? There's there, Oh, boy. <laughs>
Did you hear that? Everett said you made a boo-boo. Ah. It's not too bad. I made a boo-boo. You made a boo-boo. I made a boo-boo. Listen, he's got it. A new style of singing. You're right. Crazy! Bing Crosby, from now on, I hope you realize that you owe your brother everything. Yeah, and that's what I'm gonna get, everything. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard the humble beginnings of the Crosby story. The rest is history. And today, in the busy little town of Crosbyville, where Crosby Boulevard meets Crosby Lane next to the Crosby National Bank, on the 18th floor of the Crosby Building, situated high in the Crosby Hills, sitting at his huge Crosby desk, is the fabulous... Everett Crosby. Crosby Enterprises, Bing makes it, Everett takes it. Who's called? Washington, okay, put him on. What is it, Harry? <laughs> National debt. Look, kid, I hate to turn you down, but $2 billion don't grow on trees, you know. Are you kidding? Bing's got to work a month for that kind of dough. I'm sorry, Harry. Harry, you don't have to get sore about it, Harry. Harry! Well, if that's the way you're going to be, all right for you in 52. <laughs> It's me, your brother Bing. Well, shove the money under the door and blow. <laughs> well, I brought brother Bob to see you. Shove him under the money. <laughs> Here, I'm afraid I'll have to ask you to leave. Oh, Everett, is that a nice way to talk to your brothers? Oh, I'm just ruthless. <laughs> and I'm penniless. Listen, Everett, I'm real short of this stuff. Could you let me have a few bucks, huh? What did you do with the money I gave you yesterday? I spent it. You spent it? I gave you $15 million. Yeah, but man's got to live. Ah, <laughs> oh, Bing, you have to assert yourself with this boy. I don't like to see you get pushed around like this. Speak up. You have rights. Look out. I sing on records, I make money. I sing in movies, I make money. I sing on the radio, I make money. All I do is sing and make money. I hear the singing, but I don't see the money. <laughs> <laughs> so we're even. I see the money, and I don't hear the singing. <laughs> Fellas, there's only one thing to do. Let's go back to Mother's idea and form a trio. No Bro more argument. Right. Brother Bob, you just made the suggestion of the night. You mean you'll let me sing with you? Yes. Oh, this'll be Cardinal Peachy and Keen. While we're three Crosby brothers who made our way. I'm Bing. I'm Bob. I'm Everett. We're three Crosby brothers. And we're here to say. With my mellow voice, I carved a niche. I play my sax at the proper pitch. But I get the money. Ho, ho, I'm rich. I'm big. I'm bald. I'm big. I'm 
Jerry and I have been partners and buddies for over five years now, and it's been a wonderful period for both of us. Lots of laughs and lots of good luck. Seems like only yesterday that we were sitting in the small club listening to a tinny little band and talking about our dreams and hopes for the future. Neither one of us were setting the world on fire. My singing just about kept me in coffee and cigarettes, and Jerry's record act just about kept him in milk and funny books. And suddenly, one of us had a brainstorm. And I'll be darned if either of us can remember which one it was, but it was right at that moment that we decided to try our luck as a team. And it always seemed symbolic that as we shook hands, the tinny little band was playing. You may not be an angel. Cause angels are so few But until the day that one comes along I'll spend long with you I'm looking for an angel To sing my love song to And until the day that one comes along I'll string along with you For a little fall that you have Say I got The human little fall that you do have Just make me love you more You may not be an angel But still I'm sure that you Till the day that one comes along, I'll string along with you. For every little fault that you have said, I got three or four. The human little faults you do have. Just make me love you more You may not be an angel But still I'm sure you'll do So until the day that one comes along I'll string along with you. Ah, that was fine. Very nice, Dean. Pretty good for a fairly new pair of pipes. I don't mind saying I think you're a comer. I like it, too, but you know something, Bing... I really do like your style of talking. No kidding. It's contagious, too, like the mumps. Right, Dean? Oh, I don't know. I've heard voices. 
I've heard voices in my time, but Bing has a certain amount of careless charm that simply fascinates the unsuspecting masses. However, I can't really say I find it contagious. <laughs> no, I guess it's not too contagious. <laughs> Just one of those loose-lipped dragons that try to top off the top. Well, a man's got to be wrong sometime, and I guess it's my turn. No, Bing, the way you talk isn't really contagious. <laughs> You know, Bing, it certainly certainly was nice having you with us tonight. Yeah, and don't forget, Bing, we're going to be paying you a visit real soon, too. Right. I'll see you then, fellas. Good night, Bing. Thank you. Good night, Bing. Until we meet all you folks out there again, this is Dean Martin. And Jerry Lewis saying, don't forget, we appear on radio through the courtesy of Hal Wallace Productions, producers of our new picture, soon to be released, Sailor Beware. Good night, everybody. Good night, and God bless you. From Hollywood, you have just heard transcribed the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis show, written by Ed Simmons and Norman Lear, produced and directed by Dick Mack. With music under the direction of Dick Stabile. Brought to you by Anderson for fast relief from pain and headaches, neuritis, and neuralgia, which brings you the greatest lineup of talent in radio and television history. Fred Allen, Arthur Godfrey, Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, Jerry Lester, Perry Como, and Dean Martin, and Jerry Lewis. Tavern with Archie on NBC. That is the Martin and Lewis show from October 19, 1951. Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis. Special guest being Crosby is heard on NBC. That was originally sponsored by Chesterfield. We removed all the Chesterfield commercials. However, if you were part of the Classic Radio Club... And this was one of the shows that I would put in the Classic Radio Club selections. You'd have all of the commercials, nothing edited. And, you know, this particular show, you heard the quality of that, Lisa. That is because that is directly from the master recording that uh, we received from the rights holders of that show, which includes Jerry Lewis. And um, those are the shows that we put in the Classic Radio Club, only Classic radio shows direct from master recordings, licensed from the uh, the uh, rights holders. We pay royalties to do that. And we offer these to our listeners, Suspense, Jack Benny, Boston Blackie, The Shadow, The Lone Ranger, Gunsmoke, Inner Sanctum, Lights Out, The Whistler, you name it, we have it in the Classic Radio Club. Now, if you're not a member of the Classic Radio Club... You should go to our website, ClassicRadioClub.com. You can join for the first month for only a dollar to experience what it's like to get your 10 Classic Radio shows. I also send you very copious liner notes that I write about each show and each series. So uh, check it out. Experience it for one month if you like it. Stay a member. It is a little bit more. It's $9.99 per month for 10 shows, digital download, and $14.99 if you get the five CDs. But you will get 10 shows, amazing quality, no editing, and never a repeat show, and you can cancel at any time. Right, Lisa? Right. Uh, You summed it up beautifully, Carl. (laughs) Where do they go? Where do you go? To the website. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. 
Join for the first month for a dollar. Check it all out. And if you're not happy, you could always cancel. All right, let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. You know what, Lisa? You know who was uh, one of the writers? In fact, the main writer on that Martin and Lewis show that we heard? Norman Lear. Oh, right. Yeah, Norman Lear, who created so many phenomenal television shows, Jefferson's, all in, All in the family. family. We saw that great special yeah. that he did a couple of months ago, and we were just loving every minute of it. I hope it he does so another. I think great. he's going to do another one. So great. You know, to say he created All in the Family, it's kind of not true. The All in the Family was based on a British comedy show. I think it was called Man of the House or something like that. And then, um, you know, when it was a big success in in Great Britain... The, um, you know, producers here were like, well, let's turn it into a, you know, an American television show. And so they hired Norman Lear and he sort of took the idea and turned it into All in the Family. But he did create so many other shows, The Jeffersons and um, I think maybe Good Times might have been another one of his. He had so many he had so he had, he probably had like ten television shows on the air at one point, but he was the head writer on the Martin and Lewis show for many many years, and that's why the comedy was so crisp and sharp and fun. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. In our next hour, we will tune in to uh, Dragnet, good Dragnet broadcast, Jack Webb from 1950, uh, a show called The Big Church from November second. So that's coming your way. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, thanks, Roger. Our it's actually hour three, even though it's hour two of our show. It's I don't know, is it hour two or is it hour three? It's Lisa? hour three. It's hour three. It sure is. We, it's one oh five. It's hour three. Yeah, we'll be here till two o'clock in the morning. Of course, we got a late start due to socks, and uh, we uh, so we're going to take the lives of Harry Lime. Good broadcast. That's what we were going to play in our first hour show called Horseplay with Orson Welles. We'll put it back on the shelf, and we'll bring it back another time. We listen to Martin and Lewis, and in this hour, it's Dragnet. So that is going to be a lot of fun. Jack Webb in a true crime story from the closed files of the Los Angeles Police Department. Um, our text in line, 312-981-7200. That's our number if you want to text us. As I said, we'll be here till 2 o'clock. But right now it's time to play our game, Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous? Well, the game is real, and we are going to be talking about somebody that you like, Carl. Who? Cheryl Ladd. Oh, yeah. She's <laughs> I that, great. I thought you'd appreciate that. You know, that. she's related to Alan Ladd. Yes, you know, I from know Box that. thirteen. Yes, I know. I believe that she married his son. That's we we've talked yeah. about her before. Mm-hmm. I mean you probably talk about her all the time, but <laughs> <laughs> Well she's she's great. She's going to be the subject of our real or ridiculous right. segment brought to you by Cat's Pride. And the prize is Mercury Theater tickets to see Monty Python Spamalot. Oh wow. That's great a, show. I saw that play. Yeah? Years and You've years seen ago. A play? I saw that play. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah, so we're gonna be giving away two tickets to that. So you can call right now. We're looking for caller number six, 312-981-7200, and we'll be right back. And we have Chris on the phone to play a little Real Ridiculous. Hey, Chris. Hey, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good. Good. Are you a Cheryl Ladd fan as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, who isn't, right? 
Yeah, really. She's <laughs> she sure yeah, is. She's great. All right, here we go. Number one, she performed the national anthem at Super Bowl fourteen in nineteen eighty. Real or ridiculous? Ridiculous. Hmm. So national anthem, huh? Mm-hmm. I don't think she's a singer. So I'm going to agree really? with Chris and say ridiculous. Are you sure? Yeah, she did. That is she absolutely did. right. What? She absolutely did. Whoa. So I'm sorry. <laughs> There's your sound effect. <laughs> oh, she Chris. absolutely did. So far, so good. Uh, number oh, for one. <laughs> um, Charlie's Angels producers cast her as Farrah Fawcett's older sister, Chris, in Charlie's Angels. Is that real or ridiculous? I think she was her younger sister. Mm. I think you're right. Younger sister. So Lisa's being tricky. I agree with yeah. you, Chris. So are you saying ridiculous? Yeah, ridiculous. You are both correct. You All are absolutely right. Way to right. go. It is the younger sister. You caught me on that one. This is very sneaky. <laughs> well, Carl. Chris. <laughs> luckily, he has you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> number, <laughs> number three. She wrote a book about golf called Token Chick, A Woman's Guide to Golfing with the Boys. Token what? Chick. Chick. <laughs> <laughs> is that? I think, she's a, I think she's a golfer. I'd say it might be real. Yeah, I would agree with Chris. That it's is real. absolutely real. So you've been doing your homework, Chris. <laughs> he, we came back strong. That we, is absolutely. We blew the first true. one, but then we got the next two right. Uh, Chris, I'm so excited to give you two tickets to Mercury Theater Chicago. They are presenting the positively medieval satire Monty Python Spamalot, starting previews August 30th, and Newsday calls Spamalot a holy grail of big crowd pleasing musical comedy you can check it out at mercury theater chicago.com congratulations i hope you absolutely love the show there they do great work at mercury theater chicago well, yeah, I, I, I like Monty Python. They're, they're very funny. They are and they do a great job with it i'm sure it's going to be a great <laughs> show it hasn't opened yet way to go chris enjoy that thank you for calling and playing you did thank great you Oh, I love Monty Python. I know you do. I love Monty Python. <laughs> it's his own brand of humor, the that's Holy for sure. Grail. <laughs> that was the funniest one they ever did. Monty I, Python's Holy Grail. They did this show a few years back at Drury Lane. It was a great Spam show. Spam a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it. I'm kind of trying to remember. I think I saw it in Las Vegas. They had it. Yeah, that's where I think I saw it. Everything is in Las Vegas. All right. Are you ready for Dragnet? Yes, I am. Dragnet. Oh, my gosh. What a great show Dragnet was. And it was on radio. It was on television. There were films. It came to radio in 1949 and lasted, Lisa, nine seasons all the way to 1957. These were true crime stories of closed cases. You know, Jack Webb had been on the radio since the mid-1940s. He was Pat Novak for Hire. He was Jeff Regan Investigator. He was on a lot of escape shows and suspense. He was a working actor, right? And he had some starring roles. He was Pete Kelly's Blues. And he wanted to create a series where he can really become a huge star. And he knew that true crime stories were the way to go. He lived in Los Angeles, and he thought, I know, let's do a show about a you know, police sergeant. Let me see if I can get the rights from the Los Angeles Police Department to give me their closed cases, 
they did, and he had a show. He called it Dragnet, you know, because of the, you know, when you're you know, surrounding a guy or surrounding uh, a criminal, they sometimes put out a Dragnet. That's where that comes from. And then he had this great music with the dum da dum dum, and it it struck all the right chords. And he also did some interesting experimental. A sound design with Dragnet. He would turn the microphones all the way up. He would turn the the you know the levels of the, the microphones. The well the the so the microphones would pick up right. a lot of space, a lot of sound from far away. And he never had any of the actors near the microphones. Right. They were all like a foot to two feet, three feet, four feet, five feet away. And what that did was it created a different sound than other radio shows, as you'll hear when you listen to Dragnet. Very realistic. And then he employed five sound effects men and women. These were five people that did the sound effects. Now, most shows had one or two sound effects men. These shows were just riddled with sound effects. And you know what? It really paid off. People loved Dragnet. It became a huge show on radio, and then it made a very successful transition to television and films. And he really became synonymous with Dragnet. And he went on to produce other shows. He produced um, uh, One Adam 12 and some other big television shows. But he not only produced Dragnet, but he starred in it as Sergeant Joe Friday. And we have an episode for you now from November 2nd, 1950, called The Big Church. Here's Jack Webb in part one of Dragnet. The story you're about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. Detective Sergeant, you're assigned a homicide detail. The life of a young woman is in danger. Anonymous letters and phone calls threaten her with murder. The notes bear the mark of a fanatic. Your job, stop them. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department... You will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, March 8th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Steed. My name's Friday. We were on the way out from the office, and it was 6.45 p.m. when we got to Greenwich Street. Number 318. Yes, gentlemen? Police officers. Like to see Dr. Small, please? I'm Reverend Small. Won't you come in? Thank you. Hey, let me take your hats, officers. I've been waiting for you. Oh, thanks. Uh, my name's Friday. This is my partner, Sergeant Romero. How do you do? I'm glad to know you. How do you do, sir? Hope we didn't interrupt your dinner. Oh, no, no. The organist, Brother Reber, and I were just running over a few hymns for the service tonight. Uh, would you come this way, please, into the parlor? All right. As I mentioned on the telephone, I'm not much of a detective, but I think something should be done about this matter as soon as possible. Well, we'd like to get a few more particulars first, Reverend. When did you first find out about these threatening letters? Sister Dorothy Wilson, I think I told you about her. She came here to the rectory and showed them to me. She told me she's been getting for the last four days and phone calls, too. Mm-hmm. How long have you known this Dorothy Wilson? Is she one of your regular parishioners? 
Well, she first joined my congregation about a month ago. She's been in regular attendance at our services ever since. Is that the church next door, joining the rectory here? Yes, that's right, Sergeant. Second Reformed Church of the Holy Book. I founded it here about three years ago, and I've been pastor ever since. Have you ever had this trouble before? I mean, threats against the people who join your church? No, never. Never any trouble at all. I wonder if you have those notes that uh, Miss Wilson's been receiving, Reverend. Yes, right here on my desk. Let me see. Uh... Yes. Yes, here are the five Sister Wilson got. And here are the two that I received. wonder if I could look at Yes, surely. Here you are. Thank you. Oh, would you excuse me for a moment? It's about time for Brother Reber to get over to the church. I'd better tell him. Certainly, Reverend. Didn't mean to hold you up. No, not at all. I'll be back in just a moment. All right, sir. What do they look like, Joe? Yeah. Let's see. Postmarks here. March 4th, 5th, 7th, 8th. Come from different places around town, according to the postmark. Here's Long Beach. A couple from Azusa. <laughs> Glendale here. No return address on any of them. Yeah. This notebook paper looks like to me this one. Isn't it to you? Yeah. And there's this other one here. Looks like some kind of wrapping paper. Hmm. The writing's not too bad. Let's see. According to the postmark, this is the first one they got, I guess. Let me see. Uh, Dorothy Wilson, you are a sinner and you have led a sinful life. Yet you have the nerve to come into our church and make believe you're a Christian. Spelling sure is bad. Yeah. I have been coming to our church for a long time... And it is an outrage to have you praying in our temple. If you don't get out and stay out, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of for good. Huh. Look outside. Sister in the Lord. Must be some kind of a fanatic. We'd better run all these through the prime then. Yeah. This one maybe it's typed, but we'll hear you read it. It's dated March 6th. Yeah, uh, Take this as a warning. Bring your sinful body to our church again and your blood will run in the aisles. Life can be taken when God demands it. It could be yours. Sorry for the interruption, officer. There's a few things I had to remind Brother Reber of. Mm -hmm. Have you seen all the letters? Well, we're just checking them over, Reverend. That's certainly a terrible thing for our church. I hope we can keep the matter as quiet as possible. Yes, sir. I noticed the two different signatures on these notes. Now, half of them are signed, uh, a sister in the Lord. Yes. And uh, the other half are signed, uh, it's Brother D.R. Griswold. Yes, that's right. The first letter I got was from this brother Griswold. His are the typewritten ones. You know anyone in your congregation with that name, Reverend? D.R. Griswold? No, I checked over my list of regular parishioners twice. If there is such a man, I don't know of him. Oh, we can run that name through R&I anyway, huh, Ben? Mm-hmm. Do you have any suspicions at all, Reverend? What do you mean, Sergeant? Well, I mean, can you think of anybody in your congregation who might possibly resent this Miss Wilson's joining your church, maybe? Well, no, I haven't had an opportunity to think it over in that light, but I can't imagine anybody in our group writing letters like this. What's her background, Reverend? Do you know much about her? No, she's a quiet girl. She's very religious. Works as a stenographer at an office downtown. Helps support her mother. Will she be at church tonight? Yes, she's here already, helping to set up the chairs for the service. Why, would you like to talk to her? Yes, sir, if we could. All right, let's go over to the church. There's still half an hour before services begin. We're fine. I'll have to take these letters along with us, Reverend. We want our handwriting man to check them over. Yes, by all means. That uh, manila envelope on the desk, you can put them in there if you like. Thank you. This one here? Yes. Okay. This way, officers.
how many members do you have in your church, Reverend Small? 162 regulars. Another hundred or so on the fringe. They attend only occasionally. You mentioned that this Miss Wilson's had threatening phone calls, too. Yes, that's what she told me this afternoon. Man's voice or a woman? Well, Sister Wilson said both. The phone calls usually follow each letter. And they identify themselves the same way. Brother Griswold and the sister in the Lord. Have you received any calls from them? No, I've been half expecting them, but I haven't had any yet. Here, shall we go in? Please. Here we are. Our seating arrangement's still temporary. We hope to have pews installed next year. Uh-huh. Nice church. Yes. Thank you. Oh, there's Sister Wilson. She is helping set up the chairs. If you'd like to wait in the choir's dressing room, I'll bring her in there to you. All right. Thank you, Reverend. Let's go, Ben. This one, Joe? Yeah, this is it. Hmm. Ought to open a few windows in here. It's musty. Yeah. What time do you say the services start? 7.30. It's, uh, five minutes past seven now. Officers? Yes, sir. Officers, this is Sister Dorothy Wilson. Sister Wilson, Sergeant Friday. How do you do, ma'am? Hello. And Sergeant Ramirez. That's Romero. Oh, I'm sorry. Sergeant Romero, Sister Wilson. Hello. Glad to know you. I guess you want to speak with Sister Wilson alone, do you? Well, we'd like to have you stay if you would, Reverend. wonder if there's some place where we can sit down. Yes, certainly. Right over here in the ante room. Fine. Now, Sister Wilson, there's no need to be afraid. These officers are here to help you and to protect you. See that nothing happens. Yes, Brother Small. Hold fast in the faith of the Lord and you shall not fear. Yes, I will. You want me to tell you all about it, Sergeant, how it started? Would you please say, is it all right to smoke in here? Yes, of course. Go ahead. Uh... Are we careful, sir? No, thank you. Nothing, sir. Not right now. Okay, I'll leave the bag there for a while. Uh, we've already looked over the letters that you received. Uh, the reverend here told us that you got the first one last Friday. Is yes, that right? that's right. I've gotten one each day since then. Phone calls, too. Did you recognize the voices making the calls? No, I didn't know them at all. The woman's voice was very rough. Sounded like she might be old. Mm -hmm. She said some terrible things about me and Brother Small. She called both of us terrible names. Awful. The same with the man who called? Oh, yes, sometimes he's even worse. None of the things they say are true, Sergeant. Not one word. Oh, I'd like you to think carefully before you answer this, Miss Wilson. Is there anyone at all that you know in your neighborhood, or here at church or at your work, who might be doing this? Maybe somebody that you knew a few years ago, some acquaintance? Or... Ever since it's happened, I've been trying to think of someone. I don't think I've ever met anybody who'd do this kind of thing. Well, how about a former boyfriend or a girlfriend who might be jealous of you for some reason? No. I did have quite a few boyfriends. Just casual dates, nothing serious. They were always taking me out, dancing and out to parties. We went everywhere, but I was never interested in any of them. Well, were any of them upset when you stopped going out with them? A few of them were angry when I wouldn't marry them, but I don't think any of them would write those kind of letters. Do you think the whole thing might be some kind of a joke someone's playing? It's a pretty <clears throat> grim joke to go this far. You live by yourself, Miss Wilson? No, with my mother, but I don't want her to know anything about this. Well, I think it'd be wiser if you told no, her. No, no, she mustn't know. Mother's been ill lately, and if she found out, it might upset her an awful lot. She's not well at all. Help yourself with some of the water there, Jim. Oh, Miss Wilson? Yes, please, I would. All right. Thank you. There you are. Uh, anybody else? Reverend? Yes, please. Ben? Nothing. Okay. Thank you. 
myself. Uh, how about some of the church members, Miss Wilson? Have any of them been at all unfriendly to you since you started coming here? No, I don't think so. A few are pretty hard to get to know. They're shy, I guess. But none of them have been uncharitable. Then you don't think the threats are coming from anyone in the church? Well, if they are, I don't know who the person is. The way they say all those rotten things about me. They call me a sinner and a bad woman. Well, I guess I'm a sinner like all of us are, but I'm not a bad woman. I'm going to church because I want to be born again of the light, but I've never killed anyone, and I've never been a bad woman. Uh-huh. You believe me, don't you, Everett? Yes, of course I do. Now, don't get yourself all upset, Sister Wilson. You think that's why they want to murder me, because I'm a sinner? You think that's why? Please, Sister Wilson, try and get your mind off of it. If they want to kill me because I'm a sinner, then why don't they want to kill all the sinners? Well, you're going to have a lot of homicides if they try. You hear the difference, Lisa? I sure do. It you know sounds, the sound design it does sound different. They're just like all in the the mics are up and they're kind of way back from the microphones and they're all just talking and sometimes they even talk over each other a little bit and it's very natural. It's very conversational, much yeah. more so than some of them. I mean, some of them sound a little hokey. You can tell they're acting not here. Yeah, and you know, I think it came through and people. Even without realizing it, just in the subconscious, they thought, this is really realistic. And because these stories were true, it really it makes hit sense. home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We're listening to Dragnet, starring Jack Webb in The Big Church from 1950. More after these words. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. You know what, Lisa? What, Carl? In about a year... Yes. You know where we're going. I sure do. We're going to Bermuda. We are. On a cruise, Oceana. And I hope our listeners that are listening right now will want to join us because we have reserved a whole bunch of rooms for our listeners to come along with us. Not only do we do that, but because we have a whole bunch of rooms, we got a great price on great these whole rate. bunch of rooms. So we hope that you'll sail with us. We're going to St. George and we're going to Hamilton. It's for seven nights and we're leaving August 1st of 2020. Right. Takes out of New York. It takes out of? New York. Right. 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 And goes to Bermuda. It does. And we're going to have so much fun. There are restaurants and fitness centers and spas and pools and lounges and casinos and bars. You name it. And the great thing about a cruise is you can take a relaxing week just on the cruise to relax and enjoy and soak up some sun and hang out with Lisa and Carl. You don't soak up sun. I know I don't, but most people do. And um, Or you can run around and do the excursions. And um, I'm going to do a little of both. A little of both. Definitely relax a little bit with right. a pina colada by the pool. Do you like pina coladas? So hopefully our listeners will want to sit around Do you? the pool with me. Do you like pina coladas? If you like pina coladas. <laughs> Do you like getting caught in the rain? Getting caught in the rain. <laughs> What's the next line? Um, if I don't remember. I don't know either. <laughs> but, you know, if you like pina colada, sit with me at the pool and we'll talk about classic radio and then you'll audition for a part In the radio reenactment, we're going to have a trivia contest. We're going to start things off with a big cocktail party. We are going to have a blast. So you know what? you got to take a vacation anyway, so come with Lisa and me. 
It starts at only eleven ninety nine per person, and that includes gratuities, really, and Wi Fi, and of wifi. course all your food and oh, your entertainment. Yeah. It's a it's a full fledged week, and um, you don't only talk about classic radio. We're gonna do, we're gonna talk a lot about classic radio. I know you are um, some classic and so radio what do you think and some Jack not classic Webb radio <laughs> as and, in Dragnet. <laughs> um, so we have hooked up with a uh, travel agency called Keen Luxury Travel. I'm going to give you their phone number. Write it down. Give them a call. Check it out. We'd love it if you'd join us. Yeah. It's 800, which is a toll-free number, 800-856-1155. 800-856-1155. Bermuda is the perfect place to vacation, and I think we're the perfect people to vacation yeah, with. Yeah, we're going to have a blast. We're going to just have so much fun. And uh, if you don't have the number, here's an easy way to, to get all the information. Just go to our website, which is WGNRadioTheater.com, WGNRadioTheater.com. Scroll down. You'll see a banner for our cruise. You'll see, uh, just click on that. Click on it, sign up, and it'll sail away you, with us. It'll take you right to the information page. But uh, seriously, folks, we want our listeners to come with us, and we have a great rate, great ship. And this ship is is uh, the Insignia, yes. totally refurbished. And Oceana is known, they are absolutely known for their cuisine. You are going to have amazing food, amazing service, and we're going to have a ton of fun. And that is next August 1st. So next year, 2020, book and be with us. Yeah, book now. All right, let's get back now to Dragnet. <laughs> 10 p.m. Together with Sergeants Rains and Bechtel, we tailed Dorothy Wilson to her home. She parked her car at the rear and went inside. A stakeout was placed on her house. The next morning, we took the threatening letters which the Wilson girl had received and asked Don Meyer in handwriting to check them over. During the next five days, we checked thoroughly into the background of Dorothy Wilson. We talked to her relatives, her employers, all her friends, past and present. We had no good reason to suspect any of them. We checked out the people at the church, and they were clear. Both Reverend Small and the Wilson girl continued to receive more threatening letters. Some of the language and the accusations were pretty foul. Still no outward attempt were made on the life of the Wilson girl. A week after we started on the case, we tallied up our findings. They seemed to make sense. We talked it over with Reigns in the squad room. Don Myers is checking those letters and a sap of the Wilson girl's handwriting, isn't he? What's he got to say? The letter's written in longhand, assigned to sister in the Lord, and the typewritten letters assigned brother D.R. Griswold. Mm, yeah, I know that. Don says all the letters were written by the same person. How's he figure? Well, similarities in phrasing, same mistakes in spelling, typewritten and longhand both. Mm -hmm. Signatures on the Griswold letters match the handwriting in the other letters. Now, they were only dealing with one suspect. And Don Meyer seems pretty sure of it, you know. Well, uh, how does the Wilson girl's handwriting check out? He's working on that. Where does that leave us? You've been on stakeouts at the Wilson girl's home a few nights. Haven't you noticed anything peculiar about the setup? How do you mean? Something that didn't fit, something that didn't quite jive? No, I don't think so. Well, just that business about her car, I thought that was a little out of line. Yeah, it struck us the same way. Girl always seemed frightened enough about the situation when she's around us, but when she thinks she's alone, it looks to me like she takes it a little differently. Yeah. Every night when she drives home, she parks her car in that dark garage, must be at least 50, 75 yards from her house. Yeah. I've never seen her look particularly nervous. And taking that long walk to the front door. I'm sure the normal reaction for a frightened woman would be to park the car right in front of the house and then hurry inside. She hasn't done that once. How would all those friends of hers you guys checked out? Anything there? Well, we've been staked out at her house. 
the church and the work. You know that. There's not a thing. Mm. Checked with some of her ex-boyfriends, too. Nothing there? Well, the Wilson girl told us that some of the boys had proposed to her. We couldn't find one who would admit it. They all said she was a nice girl, but they didn't propose marriage. Mm -hmm. Those threatening phone calls were another thing. Both the pastor of the church and Dorothy Wilson got letters, but only the girl received a phone call. Yeah. Well, logically, if the reverend got the letters the same time as the girl, he should have been getting phone calls, too. He hasn't received the one. Well, it could be accidental. Whoever wants to kill the girl might figure the reverend would recognize his voice. Well, it's possible, but you remember that story that the Wilson girl gave us about her mother. Remember that? Mm -hmm. She didn't want her to know about the letters because her mother was sick. Uh-huh. Well, we checked with her mother's doctor, and Mrs. Wilson hasn't been sick in five years. Yeah, how about that? What do you figure? I think the girl's a fake. Everything we knew about the case of Dorothy Wilson, everything we'd learned through questioning and observation, seemed to point to one definite conclusion. Dorothy Wilson, for one reason or another, was writing the threatening letters to herself. As for the warnings that she got over the telephone, we only had her word for it. We took our findings to Captain Steed and laid out the case for him. He directed us to stay on it for a few more days until we could find enough evidence and testimony to prove out our theory. The following day, Dorothy Wilson received a letter more threatening than any of the previous ones. Reverend Small also received a copy of the same letter. Again, Don Meyer's opinion was that they were written by the same person. All right. Range, what's doing? I don't know. Boys got any new theories? What do you mean? On the Dorothy Wilson case. Do we need one? I don't think your old one's going to hold up. Why? What's the matter? She's at Georgia Street. Yeah. Somebody tried to kill her. As soon as we got the report that Dorothy Wilson had been attacked by an unknown assailant, we drove to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital where she was being treated. Anderson and Bechtel from Homicide were standing by. We talked to the doctor who told us that the victim had no serious injuries. She had two slight bruises on her upper arms and a slight bruise on her forehead. She complained of a headache. While the doctor made out his report, we questioned the Wilson girl. She told us that she'd gone to the Church of the Holy Book at 6 o'clock that night after work. She told us that she wanted to pray before the start of the regular service at 8.15 p.m. We asked her exactly when and where the attack occurred. At about 6.30, I felt a little tired. I told the officers on duty at the church I thought I'd get a little rest before services started, and then I went into the ladies' dressing room and laid down. That's what happened. It was terrible. Did you see the person who tried to hurt you? No. I was lying down with my eyes closed, and he must have come up from behind. Put his hands around my throat and started to press tight. It was awful. Just awful. What happened then, Miss Wilson? Well, I fought as hard as I could. I kicked and scratched him, and I guess I hurt him because he let go of my throat for a minute. After that, he pulled me down on the floor. I remembered that. And then he put his hands around this part of my head like, like this. Mm -hmm. The other officers told us that one of the choir members, uh, Mr. Sherman, found you unconscious in the choir room. Is that yes. right? Yes. Whoever it was who wanted to kill me, they put a gag in my mouth and blindfolded me, then tied my wrists together with tape. That's how Mr. Sherman found me. How long do you figure you were unconscious then? Oh, I don't know. It was about 6.35 when I laid down in the dressing room. Mr. Sherman said he found me there at 20 minutes past 7. And then you were out about 45 minutes, is that it? I suppose so. I don't remember anything. Well, what makes you think the person who attacked you wanted to kill you, Miss Wilson? That's, that's what they said in the letters, isn't it? They want to kill me for coming to church? 
Now, your purse and everything that was in it was scattered all over the dressing room floor. Is that correct? Yes, it was. My money and everything scattered all over. I guess they wanted to rob me, too. $52 in cash. Is that what you had with you? That's right. A $50 bill and some change. I don't know why they didn't take it. Maybe something frightened them off. It's possible. The officers found some other articles scattered around the dressing room. A roll of tape, a metal box that the tape came in, and a half a dozen razor blades. Did you notice any of these in the dressing room before you were attacked? No, none of them. I, I never saw them before. Those razor blades, officer, what do you think they wanted to do with them? There's no use thinking about that now. It's all over. I knew I'd be protected. I felt the spirit. I knew the holy light would protect me. Yes, ma'am. Will you find whoever did it, officer? Well, this is just a hunch, Miss Wilson. Yes? I think we already have. Before we left Georgia Street, we talked to the doctor in charge and got a release for the patient. Dorothy Wilson agreed to drive back with us to the office to make out a crime report. On the way, she seemed to lose most of her nervousness. She was relaxed and she talked quite a bit. Religion's a great comfort to me, Sergeant. I think it's a great comfort to anybody, don't you? Yeah, I do. Maybe I'm different from most girls, but I get an awful lot out of my church. It's like Brother Small says, you have to be born again of the Holy Light if you really want to live. Don't you think so? That's right. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'd do if it wasn't for my religion. No, I used to have a lot of boyfriends. Of course, I don't care for any of them anymore, but when I was younger, they were always taking me out all the time. Yes, so? Yes, I had a good time when I was younger, going out to dinner, dancing, parties. Fellas were taking me out all the time. Of course, that was when I was younger. You're not much over 25 now, are you, Miss I'll Wilson? be 27 in August. That's pretty old for an unmarried girl, but I'm not worried. Get interested in more important things when you get older, isn't that right? Oh, yes, that's right. I remember when I was in junior college, how boy crazy I was. I remember that junior prom I went to. Seems such a long time ago. Yeah. I had the most beautiful white dress, Sergeant, with sequins. And the skirt was all white in that, gathered in here at the waist, and it flared out real full. Uh -huh. I went to the dance with one of the big football players. He looked so nice in his blue suit. His name was Stanley. Uh -huh. I knew him for a long time. He's one of the fellows who asked me to marry him. I guess I was too particular. I, I just couldn't see any of them. Uh, would you mind if I laid out a few facts for you, Miss Wilson? Oh, not at all, Sergeant. Go ahead, please. Now, I'm not trying to embarrass you in any way, but since we've been on this case, we've checked with just about all the friends that you've had in the past few years, and that includes your boyfriends, of oh. course. None of the fellows that you've mentioned say they've ever proposed marriage to you. Said they've been out with you once or twice, but that's all. Oh, well, you probably didn't talk to the right fellows. You probably got the names mixed. No, well, ma'am, we didn't. We talked to the right people. Well, I can't understand that. Neither can we, Miss Wilson. Well, what difference does it make anyway? I wasn't interested in them. I, I wouldn't have married them anyway. Going out and dancing and parties, that's all they were interested in. What reason did you have for lying to us? Parking in a car, necking with girls, trying to take advantage of them. That's all those fellows wanted. Some of the silly girls they married. Oh, I don't... You discover a lot more important things when you get older, Sergeant. No, I don't think that's the point. Why did you lie to us about it? I don't know, really. Maybe I didn't have a reason. I, I just didn't remember right, I guess. Well, you sure remember right about what happened tonight. What do you mean? It just happened. Of course I'm sure about it. Someone tried to kill me. Uh, might as well park on Spring Street, then. You know, it's pretty clear this time of night. Yeah, okay. Sergeant, I, I wish you'd tell me what you're getting at. What are you thinking? Well, there's still a few things that we're not too sure of, Miss Wilson. We'd like to clear them up. But what aren't you too sure of? I told you everything I knew. I was, I was lying down in the dressing room and somebody tried to kill me. I told you all about it. Well, you told us you were unconscious about 45 minutes, didn't well, you? Well, yeah, 40 or 45. Well, no, we talked to the doctor at Georgia Street, and from the way you described the attack, it, well, it would have been just about impossible for anybody to make you unconscious that long by pressing his hands against your head. Well, but he hit that. me on the head, too. You can see the bruise here. Well, yes, ma'am, I know, but that's very slight. The doctor says that that couldn't have done it either. 
Just a minute, I'll get the done here. What else aren't you sure of? Well, your wrists were taped individually. Now, if somebody wanted to restrain you, they probably would have taped them together, wouldn't they? Well, I don't know what they would have done. All I know is they wanted to kill me. They said so in those letters. We're not too sure of those letters either, Miss Wilson. What? What aren't you sure of? Where they're coming from and who's sending them. We do know they were all written with the same person. How do you know that? They're signed by two different people. A handwriting man checked them over. He says you're written with the same person. You might as well have it straight, Miss Wilson. Well, if we're going to talk, can't we do it inside someplace? Please, I'm tired. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Hey, Joe. Yeah? I'll see if Lake and Fingerprints is finished with that stuff. Yeah, I'll bring it along. If they are, we'll be in the interrogation room. Yeah, all right. This way, Miss Wilson. A man I know used to be on the police force. Nice fellow. We used to go out all the time together. Oh, that's so. What's his name? Well, that's funny. I don't remember. He's an awfully nice fellow, though. We used to go dancing every week. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Go right. I started questioning Dorothy Wilson, but she wanted to talk about everything except what concerned the case. Dean Bergman and Leighton Fingerprints had already checked each article that was found at the supposed scene of the crime. The Wilson girls' prints were all over them. Did you write those threatening letters to yourself, Miss Wilson? I don't understand. Why do you ask me something like that? Did you write the letters to yourself? You know that's not a fair question, Sergeant. I don't know what you consider fair, but we'd like to know, did you write the letters? Do you know what it is to pray, Sergeant? I mean, really pray? What's that got to do with it? I've been praying all my life. I've been praying hard. Ever since I was a little girl. We'd like to have your answer our question, Miss Wilson. I think you'll understand. This is the answer, Sergeant. I... I can feel the Holy Spirit in my heart. I know you'll understand. Yes, ma'am. I've been praying for an awfully long time, Sergeant. When I was a little girl, six years old, I was praying. Night and day I said my prayers, but there never seemed to be any answer. I never could understand it because I only prayed for one thing. I didn't think it was too much to ask. What was that? I wanted people to know me, Sergeant. Hmm? I wanted people to know me and like me, that's all. But it never seemed to happen, even when I was a little girl. Don't think I quite follow you, man. You've got to understand me. Nobody else does. From the time I was a little girl, six, nobody ever seemed to care if I was around or not. I always tried to make friends, tried to make people like me. I tried very hard, but nobody seemed to care. Nobody even noticed me. Nobody ever noticed me. You mean that's why you wrote those threatening letters to yourself, so that you'd be noticed? I wanted somebody to care about me, that's all. I wanted them to know who I was. Dorothy Wilson, I wanted to walk down the street and have people nod and... Have them say, that's Dorothy Wilson. There goes Dorothy Wilson. Just for somebody to care, that's all, Sergeant. Just for somebody to care. Well, then the whole thing's purely your imagination. You wrote the letters to yourself and you pretended somebody attacked you. And all the rest. God told me to do it, Sergeant. He told me to make myself noticed. To stand up and make people know me. I'm sorry for it now, but it didn't hurt anyone, did it? Well, ma'am, you had an awful lot of people working for nothing. I'm sorry. It was so nice while it lasted. People looking after me, caring about where I went, what happened to me. It's the first time anybody ever really noticed me. It was that important to you? People knew who I was. Dorothy Wilson. They all noticed me. I feel better now that it's over. Oh, there's one thing I've got to tell you, Sergeant. Yes, ma'am. Remember driving here in the car I told you about that junior prom I went to? Mm -hmm. The time I had a beautiful white net dress with a full skirt, the... Beautiful new white dress. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am, I remember. What about it? Well, it was really pink organdy, an old dress. 
I knew you'd find out. That's why I had to tell you. Yeah. I didn't want you to think I was a liar. The story you've just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. admission, Dorothy Wilsey was guilty of filing a false crime report, a misdemeanor. She was released into the custody of her mother. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases transcribed from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That is Dragnet, a broadcast from November 2nd, 1950. That's the big church, Jack Webb, starring as Sergeant Joe Friday. Hope you enjoyed that.